Good evening. Good evening. It's good to be here. I trust that you're glad that you're here. Uh, I never did ask you this question, and I'm going to ask you tonight. You don't have to answer it right now, but you can answer it in your heart or maybe sometime later. I asked this question one time in South Dakota, and, and there was a sister in there that took it very serious. How do you know that I'm not a false prophet? You can think on that a little bit. Uh, the message tonight is titled Kingdom Fruit. Um, I was asked to share on fruit bearing. But uh, prior to going in there, I felt moved this afternoon to share a little bit of our story. I'm not going to bore you with much of it, uh, give you a little portion of it. I trust that every one of us here, we have a story to tell. Where God met you, how it happened, what happened. Some of us, was, uh, it's, it's quite different. It's not, uh, it's not all the same. Um, when I tell this part, I, I want to be very careful not to do any degrading of the people that I come from. We used to be Amish in the Amish church in Indiana. Uh, I still say, when it first happened, I would have to admit that there were bitter feelings. There were thoughts of um, not too sure how to say it. But I was so blessed uh, to get the opportunity to the four men that was kind of involved in excommunicating us to approach them one day, they were all together, and to tell them that I was sorry. For thoughts, because I want to be clean. But you know, brothers and sisters, when Christ calls you, he calls you to lay down your agenda, your opinion, your idea, what you thought you had. And that's not just to cast it off. You know, we see so much that is cast aside for the sake of the flesh. It comes out in the next generation that you see nothing that even looks like Christianity. But uh, when we do like Paul, we forsake all that we know all that we thought we knew, and the key is for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. You will lose nothing that is godly. So our story began, and I know our story started way back in 1989 when I was ordained as a minister in the Amish church, and I'm not going to go back there a whole lot, but uh, just, I just want to share this tonight just because I'd like to share with the youth why my passion is so great for young people. Um, and I, I really, one thing I really take note of when I go to minister someplace, I look at the congregation, the youth of that congregation, and a lot of times it tells the story. My heart goes out to you because uh, you are young, you have a lot of energy, uh, you are a target of the enemy, so am I, but uh, he likes to destroy young people. Anyway, um, when I was ordained, we had, we, well, our, our life prior to that, uh, teenage years were horrible, were in sin, in the depth of sin, lived in sin, loved sin, planned sin. It's, it's what it was. And so, and that was uh, in our community there. We still live in the same community. Uh, I could take you there tomorrow night, and I could take you to 
I don't know how many parties of drugs and drinking and things that go on Friday and Saturday nights yet today. Um, but we were married in 1981, and of course we thought we're going to get this thing right and do it all right, and God soon showed us that we had no power. But anyway, it went on, and I was ordained in 1989. I knew nothing, not too much of Scripture. I wasn't born again. I had no idea. I knew there was a God. I was... Uh, I remember being scared when it got stormy outside, and I knew there was a God in heaven. I knew there was Jesus Christ. I heard the stories, but I didn't know that the I didn't I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to pray. And I remember that Monday morning after I was ordained, I went out in the in the hog pen. We had little pigs out there, and I went in the middle of that hog pen, and I just had a I lifted up my hands. I said, God, I have no clue how to do this. You're going to have to show me, and I want to do it right. That was the end of my prayer. And, and he, he showed me, one of, the, one of the passions, that the first passion that he showed me was the book of John. I cannot imagine how I devoured that book. It just, I just fell in love with it, and I still love it today. Uh, maybe more than the others, I don't know, but I just love the book of John. And anyway, time went on, and that got my attention to, in the scriptures, and the more I studied, the more I read, and I got, wow, this is, this is neat, and I... And I and, and time went on, I was ordained a bishop in the Amish church in 92, four years later. I still wasn't born again. Uh, but uh, things started really ramping up in my mind and knowing what's going on here. But uh, I started preaching things that uh, uh, the older bishops would tell me, well, we, uh, I remember one said, well, we usually don't preach too much out of Paul's writings, kind of stay to the four Gospels. Little red flags went up, and I thought, I thought, well, I thought we used the, used the whole Bible. But anyway, we, so I, then it wasn't too long after that, I was preaching out of Matthew 15, and another one told me, so well, we usually don't preach out of Matthew 15. That's kind of like a little touchy about just, uh, you just kind of stay to the Sermon on the Mount. I remember telling that brother that day, I, well, that man, I don't claim him my brother, I guess. I told him, well, I said, I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I just can't live up to it. Can you? He said, well, we just have to do the best we can. But then in uh, 96, I shared this a little bit the other night, there was a, one of the low parts of my life, probably, probably one of the lowest parts, and there was a man stopped in that night. He was a black man. I'd never seen him before. I never saw him since. I don't know his name. And I, he was talking there a little bit, and he had a Bible on his dash, and I remember that... Uh, I opened the conversation in that area, so, so I see you're a believer, and he said, oh yeah, he said he, and he said, and he shared his testimony, and he said, he made a comment that night, he said, and I know if I die tonight, I'm going to heaven, and then, then I thought, well, good enough, end of conversation, but he looks at me and says, what about you? Well, I explained my theory of doing the best we can, and balancing the scale, and hoping that the good outweighs the bad, and, and, uh, but he came off of his seat, and he just, Ephesians chapter 2, 7, 8, and 9, he pounded it home in my face loud and clear. And I remember when he drove away, I thought, you know, well, he's a Baptist, and we're Amish, and that's the end of story. I just, we'll, I can't reach that. That's not how we believe. But God would not let go. And I praise God. It went on for about two weeks that I fought God in this, and finally one morning I told Diane and our little time together, I said, are we going to believe God or the men around us? 
time we make a decision. I can take you to the spot where we both knelt and poured our hearts out to the Lord and accepted him. And we told him then and made a vow with each other and with him that we will follow him wherever he takes us. Little did we know what was ahead. But uh, it went on and then it, uh, from that, that point I started preaching salvation full and free half English, and that didn't go down very well. We were supposed to preach German. Uh, anyway, the message was getting across. Uh, tension was ramping up. And then in 98, uh, there were some families in the area that started having Bible study. And just gathering together, having Bible study. One of them was my brother-in-law. And I was just praising the Lord for that. I thought, wow, this is just so neat. But the rest of the community of bishops didn't feel that was so neat. And we had a meeting one day, and I remember... I was always the last one to answer. I was the last one in the row because I was the youngest, and they're counseling about this Bible study, how what we have to do to stop it. It can't go on, and I'm sitting on the other end, and I'm thinking, hallelujah, let this go on. And then my turn came, and I said, well, I said, well, what is wrong with this? I said, number one, why don't we go see what they're doing, and perhaps what they're doing is what this community needs. Well, I don't know if you've ever been chewed out, but I got a pretty good chewing out that day, and I sat in my place, and I was quiet, and just went home. But uh, I knew that God was uh, working hard, and anyway, and this went on, and in an 04, the first Sunday of 04, there was some families I had heard in the other district, these families that were having Bible study were going to get excommunicated for having Bible study. Well, me being a young bishop, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go visit there today, and I'm just going to be present. And I went, and I wasn't welcome at all. But I sat there, and I got to talk to you a little bit, got to give them a little bit of my idea, because my, uh, our community had never recognized or ever seen a split. And I thought then, well, I don't, you know, I want to keep this together. Well, anyway, there were four families excommunicated that day, and I went home from there an angry man. I have to admit that I was angry. I didn't know, I'm not sure who I was angry at, but I was angry. And uh, for the next five months, I drove the road and went to the bishops, and I went to the families, and I tried to get this united together so we could go on. And then in June of that year, I got a clear message from God, and I'm not here to exalt dreams or visions, but I do believe that God gives you one when you need one. And he gave me one pretty clear. Uh, I'm not even sure if I was in the body or out of the body. I don't know if I was awake or sleeping. I don't know how it was. But uh, in this vision, uh, my wife and I were walking down a path. We had a hold of hands, and there was thousands of people on this path. And it, was, it had a descent that was going downhill. Uh, back up a little bit. When I was a young man, the bishop, when I was a young teenager, the bishop of our church was also kind of a young man, but I, I, I knew this man had a passion for people. He did love us. I, I could tell that. And I kind of grew up with him, and I always loved him, and I got to share with him a little before he died, and I... I don't know, but I, he was one of them that excommunicated me, but I also know that on his deathbed, his family didn't let me know, but I found out roundabout that he called my name. 
We'll leave that. Uh, God bless him. But uh, I shared this story with him because he's in it. As we're going down this hill, and it seemed like the farther we went, the faster we had to walk to keep up with the people, keep them from stepping on our heels behind us, and yet we didn't want to step on the heels in front of us, but we kept going faster and faster. And we went up ahead. I, up ahead I saw the people were turning to the left and just falling out of sight. And, but we had no choice. We had to keep moving and keep moving. And I get up to where the people were falling off to the left, and here, on, here was a chair at that curve. And on that chair was this bishop, Chris Smucker. And Diane and I got up there, and he held out his hand. He said, no, you go this way. Pointed to the right, he said, you go this way. I looked at Diane, I said, well, we, we'll do what he says. So we turned to the right, and there was a stony path. There was weeds and rough roads. Walking up this path, just the two of us. And it wasn't long, there came a barn, came into the scene. A, an old barn, but well-kept. It wasn't painted. And I, we stepped inside. I told Diane, well, we'll step inside. We stepped inside as a room, probably maybe, I don't know, 12 by 12. It was really cleaned up. It wasn't painted. And we just walked around in there, and I told Diane, I said, I don't know what this is, but I, and I noticed on the far corner there was a door, another door, probably about maybe five foot tall. And I told Diane, well, let's, let's just go out that door and see what, what, where we're going. But I get over there, and I'm about to open the door, and I look down here to my right, and I have no clue what this means, but there were three kittens there meowing. And I looked down, and their pan was empty. And I told my wife, I said, well, maybe we should try to find something to feed these before we go on out. And about that time, there was a, a voice got my attention. And a being came into that room, and I thought of what we read this afternoon. All I know is that his hair was white as wool. And it was a voice that was uh, authoritative. It was sweet, but I knew I had to listen. He walked over, and he bent down, and he poured something in that pan for the kittens. And this is what he said. He said, this will do until 30 times, until I come, you feed these. Then the door that we was about to go out opened up, and young people started walking in from 12 to I don't know how old, and they never stopped. I know. It is appointed unto me to feed young people. The sheep. And for further direction, we finally walked out that little door, walked around the other side of the barn, and we seen a scene there that was so familiar. It's an Amish place, well-kept, brick house, white fence, yards were well mowed. And there was a lot of buggies lined up in there. They were having church. And I walked over there, and 
with intent to go in that lane, to go into church there, and the same voice says, no, this is your path. Another rocky path. And so we turned, and I came out of that whatever it was, and Diane and I are still walking down that stony path. We're not sure where it's going to take us, but it's taken us together. It's taken us many places. It's taken us to some rough places, some rough roads, and we're blessed. But uh, I share this because of a passion that I have for youth. Even in the Amish church when I was young bishop, I had some young people in our congregation that wasn't a whole lot younger than I was, and I, I remember them calling them over to our house one evening, and I said, well, what would happen if, if I would start having gatherings, youth gatherings on Tuesday nights, would you come? They said, we sure would. Well, until I was excommunicated from 92 to 04, our Tuesday night gatherings probably consisted of up to 150 youth from all over the community. Feeding them, we were able to talk to them in English. Uh, I never got to the point where I could actually have them bring a Bible. Uh, we could pray, but then, that, then I was put out of there. But I do have a passion for them. And since then, I would have to say probably at least once a week or twice a week, I wake up through the night and I'm preaching to Amish youth. I don't know what that means. She can pray about that. You know, Paul took the message back to his people, and that may be my calling someday. But I knew also that uh, there was, like I said, there was bitterness that had to be laid down, and there was apologies to make, and near as I know, that's all under the blood. But... Uh, we're now, we're still, it seems like pretty harshly kept there, but that's okay. It's okay. We have, I have brothers and sisters in my family that I haven't seen for 10 years. It's, it's just okay because my family got a whole lot larger than just seven siblings. So God bless you for that, for whatever you get out of that. And we get you to move on. Tonight, uh, the kingdom fruit. Um, we talked about last night of uh, last couple nights of our position, and we talked. We finished up last night that your position here, according to John fourteen twenty, you are sandwiched between Christ with Father on the outside, uh, a position that He placed you there. This position happened because, as a review, that you allowed God to break through the body and the soul. And you notice tonight we have the inner man filled completely up with the Holy Spirit. And down here in this dark line, the spirit of man is squeezed down here. He's almost, he's not eradicated. He's down in there. He doesn't have any life, but he's, he's able to raise his head if you start listening to him. But the Holy Spirit is dominant in here. It is now controlling this man. And we see that uh, the... the uh, Life didn't end. So there's, there's more. There's more to this position. In other words, we can't go from here to here and now make a monument out of that and say, well, look what happened back there 10 years ago. I'm, I am not so much, I am interested in that story, but much more than that, I want to know two things, where you're at today and the direction that you're taking. And your growth that you're experiencing in the Lord. There is always more. So we're going to talk about the fruit. 
fruit-bearing. We're going to talk, and Christ says quite a bit about that. In fact, I'm going to read a verse here in John 16, and we'll, we'll, or John 15. We'll probably come back to that a little bit later tonight. But in John 15, verse 16, this is what he says. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. There's a word in there that I want to get your attention on, that the fruit that you bear remain. Uh, remain means to stay there, to stay. The gospel of Jesus Christ was never meant to, to whittle out and fade away after one or two or three generations. You know, brothers and sisters, I, am, I shared this with a brother tonight, and I am, I am so grieved when I go to a funeral of a grandpa or a grandma that died that's maybe 70 or 80 or even 90 years old, and you watch the family walk in and you see the next generation that they produced is already fading a little bit away from what mother and dad taught, and then you go to the next generation and you almost see nothing of bearing fruit for the Christian faith. Now, I'm not going by the outward appearance. I'm going by the deadness of the spirit that's in these people. What is happening? What is happening? Brothers and sisters, young people, I asked a couple men tonight, and I got kind of blown in the face. I asked them if they ever thought about girlfriends or getting married or raising a family, and they all said, of course I did. <laughs> I'd be crazy not to. Well, I ask you on a serious matter of this, what really is your vision there? Think about it. And I want to share one more thing on that. I'm not here to talk about marriage or dating, but if your vision doesn't go further than the honeymoon, give it up. Don't even go there. If that's as far as your vision is, you're not ready. I told these men tonight that you sisters are looking for leadership qualities, right? That's what they're looking for. Qualities that lead, that, that go forth, and, you know, my wife is not a fence post, okay? She stands up to me every now and then, and that's really good for me. But, you know, the fact is, I also know, when she asks me a question on a decision, she likes yes or no. She hates, well, I don't know, whatever you think, I guess, honey. She hates that. And, and men, I, I challenge you men, you know, and, and I'm not here to talk about that tonight. We're talking about kingdom fruit. But fruit that remains, okay? Godly seed, bringing forth godly seed that, uh, that is quality for the kingdom of Christ. And here, uh, because here, we, we know here that we have, we have uh, it's obvious tonight that as, as Christ has placed you, or God has placed you in this position, in the center of His Son, and you're going to find out more about that when we read it tonight. It is all over Scripture. 
that this is true. And I'm going to read a little bit of it in John 15 right now. Before we move away from there, verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in me. You are the branch. Except it abide in me, I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. Over and over he says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to... I, I, we asked the question last night, why would you ever want to leave that position? Why not take that position that He has placed you in and now walk as He told you to walk? To walk in love, to walk in truth, to walk in harmony. Why do you suppose that Jesus Christ was so concerned about us being one? What did it matter? If all roads go to heaven, why do we have to be one? Jesus said, you know, I, I don't know what you think of, but you get a little glimpse of it in Hebrews 10, and I'm not going to turn to that. You get a little glimpse of eternity past, prior to the foundations of the world. It was the Father, it was the Son, and it was the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> I don't know what that conversation went like, but this is what I think. It was the Father that said, let us make man like unto our image and in our likeness. No schisms, no divisions, no pride, all one. Jesus said that in John 17, like we were one before the foundations of the world. When I was with you in glory, they never they always existed. There was no there was no beginning. In that conversation, perhaps the Holy Spirit said, Well, we can do that. But if we do that, one of us is going to have to die to redeem him. And the son said, I'll go. I'll go. It is written of me in the volume of a book that he said to the Father, I'll go. Willingly. If you abide in me, and my words abide in me, now he taught, now, if you abide in me, and my words, this word of God, this infallible word of God, abides in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Over and over, if, if you keep my commandments, you abide in me. The word abide, it means to come it means to come, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the cuddle, cuddling, fuzzy Christ. I mean the, the solid uh, security in the, in the bosom of Christ where you can rest and be assured that all is well with your soul. And then it doesn't matter what they do with your body because He has broken through and your spirit is free and the Holy Spirit has taken up permanent residence there and now you are indwelt by the Father by the Son, and by the Holy Ghost. Therefore, He requires your life to produce fruit. So now, brothers and sisters, every morning you get up, you need to say this to yourself, I'm going to bear fruit. I've got to bear, I gotta bear fruit. i got to bear fruit. Is that right? Well, we got to bear fruit. What are we going to do about this? 
How will you bear how will you bear fruit? Abide in the vine. You never saw a sheep that was following a shepherd that was concerned about producing wool. The only thing he thought of is listen to the voice of the shepherd and heed what he says, and he will produce wool. And same with you. If you abide in the branch, you will produce wool. Let's talk a little bit about how doing that. We're going to go back here to Ephesians chapter 4, pick out a verse there. We will be jumping back and forth a, lot of bit, a little bit tonight. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 says, verse 3, it's just a little verse here, and I know this is in the, we often take this in teaching as a functioning of the church lesson, but I'm going to pull this verse out in pertaining to you and the Holy Spirit, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Brothers and sisters, if this is your position and you claim to be here, and the spirit of man is now filled with the Holy Spirit in the very inner man, I want you to be careful not to grieve the Spirit of God. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God. When the Spirit speaks, and this is how the Spirit speaks, He speaks a little different than we as dads in our home. Oftentimes we tell little Johnny to pick up the toys. And, and sometimes... Uh, we, we sit here and we start doing something else and we notice he hasn't picked up, picked up the toys yet. And we say, Johnny, pick up the toys. Well, he still didn't. Maybe a few minutes later and, and uh, we, uh, he still hasn't done it. So we kind of, we say, John Schmucker, pick up the toys. Oh, he quick gets it done. The Spirit of God is a little different than that. The Spirit of God, when you attempt, maybe you're tempted. Maybe you're tempted to do something or go someplace or wear something or tempted to turn on some music that you're used to or maybe you're tempted to look at a movie that's not uh, whatever, whatever it may be. And music's a big one, young people. You need to protect your eye gates and your ear gates, I'm telling you, because I, I, what goes, if you... If, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And how does it get in there? There's two gates it gets in there, and that's through the eyes and through the ears. And a lot of times what goes through the eyes is very hard to ever get away from that image that you just saw. So be careful what you look at. And maybe you're tempted to do, do one of those things or go someplace where you know that you shouldn't go, and the Spirit of God says, No! But you go anyway. One time won't hurt. I'll just go a little bit. I'll just watch half of this movie. I'll wait till that bad scene comes on, then I'll turn it off. <clears throat> All kinds of ways. Well, the next time, you'll be tempted again. Spirit of God is dwelling in here. Maybe the same thing, maybe it's another thing. And you're thinking about it, you're meditating on this thought, and the Spirit of God says, no, but you go anyhow. I'm not here to tell you how many times, but after about the third or fourth time, and you're tempted again, and you just do it again, 
Spirit of God will say, He won't speak. Romans 1. Be careful what you do. <clears throat> okay, and this, and this, back to this circle here, and again, I don't want to bore you with circles, but this circle here, uh, this is what your brothers and your sisters see. They are able to identify by you because they're around you, they live with you, they go to church with you, they function with you, and they see Christ in you. They look at that and they identify, yes, he or she is born again, they're born of God, they have Christ in them, they're following the Lord, we know them. Now there's another circle I'd like to... I'd like to draw, and I'm going to ask one of the sisters. I talked to you about that last night. Do I have a volunteer? It's on John 17, verse 23. We can turn to that, and she's going to try to draw it for us. <clears throat> you can maybe draw it up here, if you will, right here in the middle. They were, they were memorizing this chapter, and verse 23 says, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Very good, thank you. <clears throat> okay, now what, what, this is now here we have the church, which is you and I, we are on the outside. I in them, and thou, Father, in me. Now why does he do that for? This is now when you go out to Seattle tomorrow, or you go out here on the highway and you drive down 90, or you go into Walmart or into Target, this is what the world sees. They see you. They literally see you. And what they, what they see, they really can't identify what they see, but they see there's something different by the walk that you walk, by the glow on your countenance, by, by the actions, by the words you speak, by the kindness that you show, by the love that comes forth, by the smile you have for the stranger. They, can't, I re they really can't identify with what they see. All they know is that they saw David. Okay, this is, and that's what Jesus says, I in them and thou in me that they may be made, what? Perfect. perfect. Nobody's perfect, are they? Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not, I'm not, talking, about a, I'm not talking about a plateau. What is, what is the mature, perfect Christian to look like? He is in Christ. And as he is in Christ, the shroud that God 
head over Adam that we talked about the other night. He is, he is now covered in the image of God. So when God looks down at you, He sees His image because the Son is in you and the Holy Spirit is in you and He, he doesn't really see. He, do, he sees perfection. He sees How in the world are you ever going to come before the throne of God spotless? Now, wait a minute. I said the throne of God. I said, I said before the throne of God. When you, and, and, and perhaps, I don't know, I don't know when, but there's going to a time come that each one of us here tonight are going to close our eyes and take our last breath. And we're going to leave this tent behind. But I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's not the end of me. And that's not the end of you. You're going somewhere. And I don't know how, I don't, a lot of you here tonight, I don't know. Most of you I don't know. I don't, I don't really live with you to know you really well. Some of you by name. But I'm, I'm just telling you, but one thing you're going to have to have, just like in the Old Testament, the, the high priest, there was a, we, uh, our brother shared with the other night, there was a, uh, in, the, in the tabernacle that was out in the, in the wilderness, it was, it was rectangular, and it was uh, 45, which one of these writes? It was 45 feet long, and it was 15 feet wide. 30 feet inside of here was the, the curtain. And back here was a room 15 feet square and 15 feet high where the holiest of holies, and this was to the east, always to the east, where the priest came in, the high priest came in here. Prior to coming in here, and I'm not going to go through all that, but he had to do a lot of washings and a lot of, to cleanse himself to come in here, uh, and, and uh, he, he dare not come in here without blood. He had to bring blood along. He sprinkled blood all over out here on the, on the horns of the altar and washed at the laver and, and all, all kinds of stuff. And he sprinkled blood in here on, on the uh, Ark of the Covenant where the, there were the cherubims was over. And this is where he'd go on the behalf of the people. This high priest, it was the only way a high priest had to come in here to intercede for the nation of Israel. Well, there's, there's really not a whole lot has changed. But we have a high priest. We have a king. We have one who has gone on before us. One time in the Bible, he's called the forerunner. He ran the race. He ran this race. And he, and he, and he conquered death and hell. And he went up and he was ascended to the right hand of the Father's throne. He sits there. He is, he is sitting there. But brothers and sisters, at the right hand of the Father's throne, interceding for our transgressions, according to the Scriptures, pleading our case is what he's doing. But there's one other thing that he's there for. <clears throat> if you are here tonight and you're born again and you're a child of God and that's your position, and before tomorrow morning, God calls your number. This is what's going to have to happen. The son at the right hand, the high priest at the right hand of the father's throne is going to have to rise up to receive you. 
the advocate, the mediator, the man between, the high priest. And, it, 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 and he has to take you, according to the book of Jude, over to the Father's throne and present you there. Here is one of mine. It is the only way. If you intend, and you're not born again tonight, and you're not a child of God, and you are going to take the risk of passing on without that position, my friend, and you appear before the throne of God all alone to try to plead your case, you're doomed. You need a man between to present you before an holy God. By that, because it's not just any man, the man between, Jesus Christ, to present you there, who is without blemish, who is holy, who is the Lamb, and I trust tonight your Lamb, and He is ready to present you, only you're waiting till your number's called. Oh, so we think about that, but here, here tonight, I'd like to share a little bit out of Matthew 7, as well, we have a, uh, uh, obviously, we talked about seeing the kingdom of God the other night. We have to keep moving here and tonight. And also, we talked about entering in the kingdom of God. And here is a, here's another uh, analogy I'd like for you in the race that we are to run, the walk that we are to walk. You are here today. You're, you're, you're uh, functioning. You're uh, living inside of your body. You're, you're directing what your body does, where it goes. Uh, well, it's not your body, but we'll go on. Uh, in chapter 7 of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 13 and 14, these are not, uh, these are not new verses to you. But he says here, Enter you in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth in unto life, and few there be that find it. Now I'm going to read this over. I'm going to leave out the subordinate clause. Okay? Follow along carefully. I'm going to start at verse 13. Reading it without the subordinate clause, or leaving the part out, and I still have a sentence. Okay? It goes like this. Enter you in at the straight gate, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, let's talk about the subordinate clause. I don't know what you visualize. There's very often that we visualize this, that we are, we're kind of, our roads kind of go together here, and here at the fork of the road we need to make a decision. One goes to heaven and the other goes to hell. Well, that's not what the scripture tells us. Just because you're born again, he doesn't take you off in some, other, some direction all by yourself and isolate you over here and the world's over here. That's not where we live. We talked about that the other night. The kingdom of God has come down right into the midst of the kingdom of the world. That's where we live. So here we are. This is the broad way. Millions of people are traveling this way, going right by the cross, not acknowledging it less today than ever, Millions of people, this is the road to damnation. This is the broad way. And I'm going to tell you one thing, brothers and sisters. The broad way consists of the, the, the most vile sinner, the most vile celebrity in Hollywood, down to the plainest 
plainest garbed, Amish man, whatever you want to call, that has tears running down his cheeks. It is a variation from that broad of all those who never knew Jesus Christ. It is not measured by the possessions you have. You are not measured on which road you are. This broad road is made, according to Jesus Christ, the multitudes and millions of the world. Many there be that go in thereat. Many there be that are going to go right on by the cross, on by the message of the gospel. Many religious people that walk in church doors every Sunday morning will never see the light of day in eternity. Many people that are going through church doors, those are the ones, brothers and sisters, on that day, they're going to be saying, Lord, Lord, have we not? It's not this guy in the ghettos of Seattle or the ghettos of L.A. that's going to be saying that. These are churchgoers. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I urge you tonight to get serious with God. I don't care how old you are. Get serious with God. Time is running short. But a believer, this person here who allowed God to break through the body and the soul and to enter in and to fill that empty spot that he noticed as his spirit needed filling and God filled him with the Holy Ghost and placed him in this position. This is what happened. He's going along this road here and he notices somebody witnesses to him and he's, he's whatever position he might be in, but he's going here and somebody tells him about Jesus Christ and he listens and he makes a turn and he comes to the cross and he bows down. He unloads his load there. Brothers and sisters, have we unloaded all that we have? Are you carrying a burden tonight that you don't have to walk out here with? I, I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know anything about you. But brothers and sisters, if you're carrying a load, I tell you, you have, you're only 18 inches from letting it go. The story is told of an African missionary was driving down the road, and this is how we often are. And there was a man walking along the road, and he was carrying a, a huge sack on his shoulders. And the missionary had a pickup truck, and he stopped, and he said, Brother, get on. So the brother got on the, uh, got on the back of the pickup truck, and, and they started down the road again. He wasn't going very far, and he, he uh, looked back, and this man is standing on the truck with this heavy load on his shoulder. The brother stopped and said, My brother, he said, just lay down your load. He said, Well, I would, but I'm not sure if the truck can carry it or not. Brothers and sisters, we are so often with God. We are not sure that God will forgive us. We're not sure that He can take the load off of us. But I can assure you, if you get serious with God, He will take you. He will take that burden. And you'll notice now that when you're, when you, and He'll place you between inside and Him around you. He'll put you in that position according to the Scriptures. I'm not making up a story here, brothers and sisters. Read the Word of God. Abide in me and I, and I in you. And He goes on, and now this man is now turned around. He's turned his life around. But he doesn't just go off alone. He is now coming on the other side of the cross and he starts his journey. Look at him rubbing shoulders. All kinds of the world will pass over his path. 
Is it necessary that we bear fruit? Is it necessary that we look different? Is it necessary that we choose what to look at? Does it matter what you listen to? Amen. Never forget that. Does it matter where you go? You see this high calling. You're going against the flow. You're going against the flow. The flow is going this way. And if you're not careful, brother, look at, look at the difference here. There, there is no way Jesus Christ has never taught us to walk with the world to try to win the world. He has never taught us to dress like the world so the world doesn't feel bad. He has never told you that you need to listen to the world's music to try to win the world. There is so often, and we have this going on in many Anabaptist congregations today, attempting to merge the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven together. You see the opposite direction, going against the flow, ever moving forward by faith, believing. There's a road to walk. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a path that we must take. I don't know where all your path is going to take, where all the path that God has for you, but I know He has one. I know He has one. It is already, already laid out for you. Colossians 3. <clears throat> By the way, sometimes we get confused on fruit. And sometimes we ask question, well, what is fruit? Well, I'm not here tonight to tell you what fruit is, but I am here to tell you there's only two kinds. There's not a lot of different kinds. There's only two trees that bear two different kinds of fruit. There's the good tree and Jesus, I'm amazed at Matthew 7, he emphasizes that so clearly. Sometimes when he tells us something, he tells it twice. When you think, do you think, if you're sitting here tonight, do you believe that Christ means what he says? I mean, do you really believe that he means what he says? Amen. So if that's the case, he said that a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. An evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. The next verse he says, a good tree will bring forth good fruit. An evil tree will bring forth evil fruit. And then he says, by their fruits, you shall know them. The fruit that you're producing, all of us here tonight, that's your identity. That's who you are. It doesn't matter what you say. The fruits that are coming forth from you, that's who you are. We can't deny that. We can't deny that. <clears throat> in this fruit-bearing world that we live in, in the fruit-bearing kingdom, 
as we abide in Christ. He says, gives us some clear directions here. Paul does in Colossians chapter 3. If you then, and let's leave that word if, if you then proclaim that you have risen from the dead, if you then proclaim this position, then he says, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. What's the subject in that sentence? Seek those things which are above. You, the unspoken subject. Verse 2 says, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. What's the? You, you again. Then he says in verse 3, for you are dead. Okay? Reckon the old man dead. He's laying down here in the bottom. He's all squished by the Holy Spirit. He barely has any life. I don't believe in the eradication of the old man, but he's, he's really crowded out because this man has been listening to the Holy Spirit all his life. I mean, the inner man is filled with the Holy Ghost. He can't contain it. He just keeps talking about it, and the old man needs to be reckoned that he is dead. You are dead to the world. You are crucified unto the world, and the world is crucified unto you. You see what, stand, what separates you what separates you from the world? The cross. Amen, brother. The cross, Paul says, I, I, I want to be careful not to lift up anything but the cross of Jesus Christ by which I am crucified unto the world and the world is crucified unto me. Now that means that by, which, by the cross of Jesus Christ, not the cross, I'm not here to worship it, by the cross of Christ Jesus, I'm going to lift that up. Because of he who died there. He who forgave my sins. And when I, when I do that, and I'm walking this way, and, and I'm, I'm crucified unto the world, I, don't, I am not attracted to the world's attractions and amusement parks and the undressing and whatever else goes on there. I'm not attracted to that. I'm walking on. I'm, I, I have a vision. I have a distinct direction. I have, I have an intentional way that I'm going. I have a focus on glory, and I'm headed there based on the promises of Almighty God. And brothers and sisters, as I walk, as I walk according to Luke 16, the, there's nothing like, we heard the term already, well, there are only 10 steps behind the world. Let me tell you something. If you're 10 steps behind the world, which way are you going on this graph? The wrong way is right. You're on the wrong way. You're on the broad way. If you're 10 steps behind the world, you're on the wrong way. And, and what needs to happen is you walk this way and the world continues to go. The gulf between you and the world gets greater and greater and greater and greater. The gulf between your, your destination and the destination of the world. And when I talk world, I'm talking about the system of sin. The direction of the system of sin is eternal damnation in the lake of fire. And that's the end of it. But brothers and sisters, I want to share one more, a few more things with you tonight. Yet, does it matter about bearing fruit? <clears throat> Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter five. <clears throat>
I have a question. Well, let me read the verses first. Uh, I don't know where I want to jump in here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's jump in. Uh, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that we, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For here it says, now when he talks about we in here, I want to assure you that he is talking about every believer. Every believer that has this position here, that you are in Christ and Christ in you, that is, that is who he's talking about. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Now there's coming a day when, the, when there's coming in a day that, uh, that the bridegroom is going to appear in the clouds and there's going to be a shout. That the, all the believers that are in the grave are going to hear this shout and they're going to rise up first according to the scriptures. They're going to rise up to meet the Lord in the air. And then we, if we're still here and we haven't died yet, we're going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye, and we're going to rise up in the air to meet them in the clouds. Well, I don't, I don't know, but in the clouds, when we meet our Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom is united with the bride, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. But prior to the marriage supper of the Lamb, my brothers and my sisters, we will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I always think of that song, when I, when, I, uh, when I think of it, must I empty-handed go? Must I? How's that go? Should we sing a song? Should we sing one verse of that? Maybe the one about uh, uh, not one soul to him to offer. Is it in the book or is it not? If it's not in there, that's fine. Does somebody know? Does somebody know part of that to, to quote that? How it goes? Not one soul with which to greet him must I empty-handed go. Now we hear people say this. You know, I don't really. It doesn't really matter. Just as long as I want to. Just as long as I get into heaven. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, I don't know what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ, but let's take a little bit of a look, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's back up a little bit. I think I wrote that wrong. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, sorry. Now here Paul is talking about service. He's not talking about salvation, okay? In verse 10 he says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. The foundation is Jesus Christ. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, 
wood, hay, or stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so by fire. I'm not here to explain that whole thing because I'm not sure if I really have it all clear. But if you look at the substances that we build with, which of those will burn if they're tried by fire? Wood, hay, and stubble. What happens to the others? Silver, gold, and precious stones. They're refined. Okay. So the wood, hay, and stubble, and this is what I have written in my Bible. The wood, hay, and stubble are the good things we do that any other unbeliever can do as well. They're able to be honest. They're able to be industrious. They're able to look happy. All of that. But the precious gold, precious stones, the gold and the silver, is what you do that an unbeliever cannot do. And I said this already, and I'll say it again tonight. I'm 57 years old. And if there is no soul, either, either walking with God, or has died and gone to heaven, or has been converted because of my life, then my life has been in vain. It's been in vain. And I will appear before him empty-handed. I have, I have the talent you gave me, I, I, I buried it, Lord. I, 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 didn't, I was afraid of you. We don't need to talk any further. Must I empty-handed go? Not one soul with which to offer. Think about it. <clears throat> the gold and the silver and the precious stones is what the brothers shared today as well. It's where the first mile stops and the second mile starts. It's what you do for the kingdom's sake. Abide in me. <clears throat> so tonight I'm just going to close this. I'm going to read a, a couple verses here yet in Matthew chapter 7 again. We'll jump back here. There's, there's more, but it's time to bring it to a close. Um, <clears throat> verse 17 through 20 every good, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit he said it once he's going to say it again a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I have no use for it. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Young people or any of us here tonight, I have a question. Are you willing to be that peculiar people? The peculiar people means that you're odd. You're abnormal. You are 
anomalous, which means out of the ordinary. You are unexpected. And let me tell you this, if you grow up and, and God tarries and you get a little older and you marry and you have a husband or a wife and you have children and you go together and the world sees you together in, in 15 or 20 years from now, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Families are almost distinct today, but they're going to be way more distinct in 20 years from now or five years from now. The devil is destroying families, starting with the figure that was created to lead out. That's why when you can stand at the Target doors or Walmart doors and just observe the people, and, I, and, and most of the time when you see a couple walk in, you're going to see the lady, she's going to walk in, she's going to have a kind of a walk that she's going somewhere, but behind her is some kind of a guy that has a hat on backwards and earrings and all kinds of shorts that's ready to fall off. He's just lingering along. Now, that's exactly what God, what's exactly what the devil is doing ever since the Garden of Eden is destroying that creature that God created to lead out. And if he gets that one destroyed, and, and a home, I'm here to tell you tonight, a home that the woman rises up to lead out is a dysfunctional home. Whether it be in a Christian home or whether it be in the home of society, it is out of order. And brothers and sisters, I'm not sure how that happens. Sometimes I think the man first takes the back seat and the woman's ready to go ahead. Maybe it happens the same time. Maybe she leads out first. But if we're not going to lead out, they will. And brothers and sisters... Excuse me, sisters, I'm not here to degrade you. In fact, I don't degrade you. i got a message for you tomorrow night. I'm going to give you an assignment for tomorrow night, and while I'm thinking about it, I'm going to give it to you. I want you to read Luke chapter 7. Oh, let me look at it a little bit. And you're going to trace a woman through Scripture. And it starts, with, it starts in verse 36. Luke chapter 7. Verse 36 to the end. Write this down in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to the end. And John chapter 11, and John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Follow that through. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, or tomorrow night, Lord willing. But you know, we, we see that and hear that, that that is out of order and, that, and, and we see that so much. And I remember preaching a message on, on husband-wife relationship in a church and I, I brought quite a bit forth and I, I did not expect the uprising of the women after church. I was surprised. My wife almost got run over, but that's okay. But you know, it's, it's, it's not right. I don't care where it is. It's out of order. And I'm not here to talk about that tonight, but, but every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Are you willing to be that peculiar people, that people that stands out, that people that the world notices? They look at you, and they, just, and they may look at you, and they take that second glance like, uh, well, and, and, and before, and what they see here, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get real plain with you, what the first thing they see is your general appearance. 
Does it matter what we wear? This means yes, and this means no. Does it matter what we wear? Amen. So we go Aeropostale, we go What's the Hollister, we go Nike, we go all the fashions. We keep right up with the latest ones. And brothers and sisters, if you know the history of all that, I don't, I don't know at all, but there's men behind that. So Warren Buffett is one of the guys behind it, one of the most vilest, wickedest men in the fashion world. You, and, and they know what to put out there. And they're lined up with Hollywood. And Hollywood knows what kind of movies to put out there. Swallowing up this broad way. Entertainment. Be careful. You're going this way. You have a high calling. There's places you can't go. There's things you can't look at. There's music you can't listen to. It's the ecclesia that we read of in 2 Peter, the, 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 the temper, uh, the temper uh, can't think of it, temperance. It's the word ecclesia. It means to, to it, it doesn't mean just self-control, it means take control. It means grabbing, grabbing that body of yours by around the neck and say, listen, you're going to listen to me. Eyes, you can't look at this. Ears, you can't hear this. I'm in control of this. God expects that of you. He gave you the body you have. It is not your own. You live in there. It is a rental house. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the landlord is returning. What are you going to say? You're only there for a while. Or the last question, or are you okay with just being a nominal Christian? Meaning, existing by name only. You can choose. And the way that works, you can go away from this week and you can say, wow, had a lot of good lessons, we had a lot of good messages, we really learned a lot of things, I took a lot of notes. But if you go to work on Monday morning, and by Friday it kind of all wore off, and you're still that same old person and nothing changed, I wonder what happened. You're on a road that goes the opposite of society. Remember that. You are a peculiar people. You are one who believes in somebody that died, but he's alive. You believe that he's coming back and you're going to be accountable. He's coming back as a judge. He's not going to come back silent. He's first going to come back with a shout, summoning his bride. She's going to rise in the air. But we got... Good news. After it's done by the judgment seat of Christ, we go up there and somehow we have a, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I don't know how that looks like to you, but I'm telling you tonight, I get excited about that. When you look at that, you kind of visualize that there's tables up there that are lined up beyond the eye can see. And brothers and sisters, the table is ready. The Lamb is slain. The plates are set. And your name is on a setting. Your name is there. It's written there. And I, and, I, and I tell you, if you decide to somehow 
turn around or get out of that position or start going with the flow. Yes, he can take your name off of there, but I'm going to tell you, when God is all done, he's not going to stand there by heaven's gate and go like this. He's, well, it's kind of empty in here, but I guess my plan didn't work. No. You decide not to, he can go to the ghettos of Las Vegas or wherever and raise somebody up and place him in that position. God is able, and he will do it. There are multitudes going to be there that's innumerable numbers. God is God. He is on the throne. And tonight, I, again, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to have a prayer here, and if there's something on your heart that you have to share or something that you have to confess, um, there's a lot more people here tonight, but you know what? All those that came tonight that wasn't here the last few nights, I almost believe they're not a whole lot different than we are. Do you agree with that? So it doesn't matter. And if you have something on your heart you'd like to share uh, that God spoke to you today or this week or whatever, I'm going to give you this opportunity tonight. So uh, why don't we have a prayer, then uh, I'll just give you that opportunity. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we again bow before you. We are so thankful, Lord, that you are God. We are so thankful that you reached down to redeem us. Lord, that you awakened our soul, that you awakened us out of our sleep, and that you allowed us to make a decision to invite you into our hearts. And Lord, you were faithful. You entered there. You're dwelling there by your Spirit. And Father, we just pray tonight, take control of our hearts. Take control of our lives. We give it all. We have no reserves. We have no rights here. This is not our home. But Lord, let us be ambassadors for the King. We're more than conquerors. We're not running this race, Lord, to, to win it. You won the race. But we're going to continue to claim the prize. And then cast our crowns before you, for you are worthy. I thank you, Father. Tonight, this week, you've worked in our hearts. You've cleansed us. You've watched us pour our hearts out in prayer and Lord, I just pray tonight if there's someone here yet that has something on their minds or hearts that they wouldn't be ashamed just to say it how it is. I thank you, God, for transparency. You require it. You know all about us, whether we admit it or not. Help us, Lord, to be honest. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there anyone? Anyone means anyone. We Anabaptists are sometimes pretty quiet, aren't we? <clears throat> you can actually come up here if you want to, and I'll give you the mic so everybody can hear. Something burning on your heart you'd like to share that you learned or God laid there.
Maybe we have a stake we like to drive deeper. I just, uh, yeah, I'll just just give turn this over to Brother Pete tonight. Uh, he'll close this service. I thank you for your attendance, your attention, and God bless you. Uh, we walked a few days here together, and it's a blessing to know that um, we're not alone in this world. We have many brothers and sisters that are striving. Encourage you to continue to strive to walk faithfully, bearing fruit. And uh, we know He's guaranteed us if we abide in Him, we will bear fruit. So, God bless you.